Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Fans of Sound and Vision, the official book of the podcast, Why I Make Art, Contemporary Artist Stories About Life and Work, is available through Altelier Editions, the publisher's website. It's altelier-editions.com. The book features 30 in-depth looks at artists who have been on the podcast, spanning mediums from painting, drawing, photography, sculpture, performance, and land art. Artists include Diana Al-Hadid, Jules de Ballancourt, Greg Crutzen, Heather Day, Inka Essenhai, Salman Tour, Robin Williams, and many more. The book features a foreword by my friend Rishikesh Hirway, who is also the host of Song Exploder, the Netflix special and podcast. You can check it out at atelieredictions.com or you can get to the link through soundandvisionpodcast.com. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is an employee-owned company that makes the best artist materials for making that you can get. Over the last 25 years or so, I've been using Golden Acrylics, Mediums, and Materials, and I stand by the quality in their products. They make acrylics that stay wet longer, they dry flat, Mediums to make you paint super thick and beautifully fluid. They also make Williamsburg oil paints and core watercolors as well. You can find Golden in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the fine coffee makers at Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has amazing coffee beans that you can order straight to your door. On their website, you can choose from different roasts from different origins, and you can even get a coffee subscription where you can get different beans delivered to your door each week or month. I'm on this subscription plan and it's amazing. As a coffee fanatic, getting new roasts all the time delivered fresh to the door is amazing. If you get to Seattle, you can even see a 10 foot by 40 foot mural of mine in their 6th and Bell Street shop. Check out Fulcrum Coffee Roasters at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sam Dunson is an artist born in Dayton, Ohio, who is a professor in art at Tennessee State University. That's where he received his BS in studio art before getting his MFA at the Savannah College of Art and Design. He's received several awards, including 100 Under 100, the new superstars of Southern art selected by peers of Oxford American Magazine, the Outstanding Achievement Award recipient in graduate painting from SCAD, 
the ArtLink International Young Artist Auction at Sotheby's, and the Presidential Fellowship recipient from the Savannah College of Art and Design, just to name a few. He's had exhibits too numerous to list with extensive solo and group shows, and his work has been covered by Nashville Arts Magazine, the Oxford American Magazine, New American Paintings, and many more. I spoke to Sam about funk music, Ohio, Georgia, and Tennessee, teaching, exploding the canvas, the circle of fifths, and much more. Here's our conversation. <laughs> so, um, so you, I, I read a little bit. I, th- I believe you grew up in Dayton, right? Yes. Yeah. Not, yeah, not sure do. terribly far from where I grew up. That's what I, I mean, in doing a little bit of, uh, a little bit of research that I could do, cause I'm a, like, I'm a teacher as well. So, uh, I heard a, uh, a podcast where you were talking about being, uh, from Ohio and I mean, no, no, so you, you are, but oh, I mean, very the, close, very it close was the guy it. that you were interviewing was from the, like the Cincinnati, Cincinnati. area. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So Pittsburgh. So yeah, we are neighbors then. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. It's not, I guess. Sometimes people call it Midwest, but it feels like it's not like true Midwest. I don't know. It's it's its own vibe. I feel like the Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. There's a certain something there, right? Yeah, there's this. I mean, like strange pull to the. Well, I mean, you know, Ohio is almost like when you divide it down, like north to south to center. It does feel. I'll, well, let me actually divide again, north and south as well. It almost feels like certain parts are from the south, certain parts from the east, certain parts from the Midwest, and then yeah. certain parts are literally from the north. So, it, it, I mean, I, since I'm in Dayton, I'm kind of right there in, I mean, like, near south center. So, I guess it depends on the day. I feel uh, I'm sort of Midwestern one day and feel like I need to be Eastern another. So, right. so yeah, just depends Dayton, on the day that you meet me. <laughs> Dayton's a college town, though, isn't it? Does it have like a yeah. somewhat of a college feel to it? I don't yeah. know. I'm not as you know. We used to go to Cleveland. Oh yeah. And then we went to uh, Canton a lot because my the Hall of Fame. That was oh, my so. Ohio trips, but yeah. uh, I don't think I ever spent a significant amount of time in Dayton. It. Uh, I'll be very honest with you. Uh, as of right now, it's kind of. I mean, like attempting to rebound. Mm-hmm. But um, it was pretty much just a blue collar, I mean, General Motors city. I mean, that's yeah. what fueled the entire income of, uh, of Dayton when I was younger. Yeah. And I mean, when when they pulled out, I mean, it pretty much, it, it nothing really came back in to fill the void, I guess that's the best way to say it. So it's trying to find what it is that it's, I guess, a, almost like creating a new core of what it is now. Right, I mean, because it has an amazing history. I mean, like Wright Brothers and Dunbar and so many other people, but yeah. uh, but it's just that's not sustainable these days. I guess that history aspect is not sustainable. So right. they're they're trying to find other things. I mean, one one other strange uh, fact is a lot. I mean, most people know Dayton, Ohio, just due to funk funk music. Because uh, Dayton it's pretty, a funk? How do I not know this? Dayton is Wait, who's from Dayton. I'll, I'll run through it. Zap. Uh, so Roger, Whoa, Zap. Oh, Trot, yeah, Trotman family. I went to school with uh, some of the Trotmans. Uh, and then you have the Ohio Players, uh, Bootsy Collins from I mean, Cincinnati, but kind of was pulled towards Dayton. Uh, 
that's already just, like three times the <laughs> funk of any other city in the world. <laughs> and that's just a what do you say, a tip of the iceberg, man. It was there was, I mean, Parliament Funkadelic is not literally from Dayton, but we have real strong Ohio roots with uh with Bootsy and I mean when James Brown would come through the city, I mean, literally he would kind of find his way between Cincinnati and Dayton. I mean, Lakeside. I mean, it's it's crazy. Ooh, Lakeside too. Yeah, yeah. It is crazy how many. I mean, funk bands are from Dayton. I mean, they they I literally know. have a uh, have a I, history. That's of what funk. I, that's what I love about music and life. Like, I'm. I mean, we're pretty close in age. I think I'm like a few years younger than you. Like okay. two or three. And I was a jazz DJ in school, and you know, I came around the funk. Probably, I mean, you know, funk was always around. My parents used to go disco dancing and stuff. So, you know, it was in the house or whatever, but I didn't know it, know it. I just knew it, you know, like, but as a DJ, you kind of dig deep and stuff. And I think the funk thing came later on, but I don't know that I, you know, I, those bands that, you know, that you mentioned, like I really got into funk, but I guess I didn't get into where they got their start. Oh, so I had no idea. It is, I mean, it is, I mean, they, they attempted, and I'm not sure how it's going, but they attempted to uh, build and kind of create a, a uh, funk music kind of hall of fame and history hall of fame. Sounds uh, like it's really, yeah, right, it is, man. I mean, it's really, really small uh, and, and it doesn't have the funding as, I mean, some other, uh, I mean, like halls of fame would have, but uh, just, I mean, when you're, I mean, when you're growing up in Dayton, you just, it's just part of everything. I mean, yeah. but um, no, nah, man, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's crazy when I actually just start looking at all of the bands that have a connection to Dayton. So, yeah. yeah. Wait, it, Heat Wave isn't from Ohio, are they? Whoa. We'll have to Google that on they the side. They may be, because that sounds, I don't know why, I mean, whenever I think of uh, Lakeside, I'm thinking automatically the connection to heat wave. Yeah. But I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not certain about heat wave, but I mean, I would be fair. I'd be surprised if they didn't have some connection. Uh, as we're talking, to, I'm, I'm going to be moving my fingers around. Right. Whoa. Keith Wilder of Dayton, Ohio. Wilder went to church with uh, me. And actually the, uh, I think Keith is the one that actually had the accident. Uh, Johnny was, Wilder Jr. And Keith Wilder of Dayton, Ohio. Um, what? It sounds like they went through some members. Yeah, yeah. One of them is, uh, I mean, ended up at the end of his life. Uh, well, not at the end, actually, fairly midlife, had an accident, was a quadriplegic for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And he literally was, I mean, went to church with my mother. I mean, like, until That's he crazy. passed. So, I mean, my mother and father went to different, different churches, different religions and all of that. So, uh, yeah, she was... She was in church with him I mean, every Sunday. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's Three Nights in Groove Line. Those are oh, I mean, those songs are amazing. You know, for anyone listening who got who's tapping in for art, <laughs> and we're just talking about funk. Sorry, but it's gonna happen. <laughs> Look at the albums. The album oh. covers. They will we'll make the connection. It's so good. Zap and Roger is like one of the most amazing acts I think ever because yeah. they were the connection between you know just raw funk and then futurism and, yeah. and electronic music and you don't have that punk you don't have any of that you know electronic stuff without zap and roger i think 
Exactly, man. And then a resurgence. I mean, like in the uh, 90s, I mean, with hip hop, that, I mean, it was just kind of, it was kind of crazy to know that. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there with some of the family members in my class and at high school and all of that. And then to know that, I mean, the rest of the world sees them as these, I mean, not to say that I didn't, most definitely I knew how famous they were, but yeah, just that, that connection, I mean, to that was almost like, well, hey, yeah, that's, that's Dayton. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> it's funny too because you know a similar thing happens with art i think when you do research or when you're digging you know i remember at one point i don't know it must have been in college maybe later on when i heard zap and roger and i was like well, this is heavy d and i didn't realize that you know how you come backwards the things like you you hear the sample and the sample is so prominent yeah, oh, man. and then you hear yeah. the original maybe a decade later or something and it blows your mind you're like oh wait that came from this, you know what I mean? And to know that we have access to it now, I mean, just by going online and literally just plugging in a song and listening to it and seeing how layered some of those samples are, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, now it's they have who crazy. sampled who, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you can yeah. go deep, like every sample in the song, <laughs> which is uh, kind of mind blowing. I mean, we'd have to go to record store. Like, you wouldn't know. Unless you right. knew the band, you know, right. you had to find it or someone had to tell you like, oh, this is the incredible bongo band and they changed the history of music. <laughs> you know, That's it's so pretty amazing. Yeah, this mean, is going to parlay into a, this is going to parlay into our creative process. All right. right? Yeah, most definitely. Man. <laughs> is it okay if I just put Boogie Nights underneath this whole conversation? Hey. low? just like. <laughs> so you might, you might see me take my headphones off and just start. start, start dancing so I. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, to, to circle back, growing up in Dayton, I I take it music was important. And I, I did read that you, your parents did take you to New York City to see art or do, or go to Broadway. Like you were, you know, you had, you had culture in the life early on. Yeah. And siblings, you had yeah. several siblings. So what's, what's it, you know, how, like growing up, what was it like? You know, what, what was the, the art angle, the music angle and yeah. Man, it, uh, I'll, I'll be so very honest with you. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, my wife kind of called us uh, the Huxtables <laughs> when we first met because it was one of those things where um, I was a shy kid in nature, just mm -hmm. still am just a, like a more of an introverted person than an extrovert, which kind of allows me to do things that I do in the studio and all of that. But my my parents, I mean, that was one of the things that they kind of uh, held like near and dear to them is that the reason that they were working, they were, I'm sorry, I didn't even say it. They worked at General Motors and yeah, fortunately retired before they basically, basically pulled everything out. Right. But it, it allowed them uh, the the money and the funds and the, the ability to do the things that they wanted for their children. And, and strangely enough, uh, and I'll say this just due to their upbringing, that was one of the things that they really felt was important. I mean, almost paramount over just about everything else was the ability and the opportunities to go places that they hadn't seen and take the children along, myself and my sisters. So yeah, it wouldn't be anything for I mean, my parents to be like, oh man, there's a, I mean, a piece of theater. And I'm literally thinking about dream girls. Mm -hmm. uh, playing on Broadway in New York. I mean, my father's name is Samuel, mother's name is Helena. So he would just say, 
Like, Lena, you want to go to New York this weekend? Yeah, let's go. So we pack us all up and we drive and I mean, we'd be there. And I mean, that was kind of started my whole love of of all of that movement and noises and I mean, scenes and colors just was so different from, from Dayton that, uh, that it was just something that, that kind of, I guess you would say, planted a seed in me. Um, and I, I feel like I was kind of given a gift to be able to I mean, sort of see things artistically and have plenty of family members that do the same. Yeah. Early on. And it, too, it right? was, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just, uh, it, that's what planted the seeds, my, my parents. So it was, it wasn't any, I never really got in trouble. I mean, hardly at all. And I mean, I, I stayed to myself. I had friends and all that, but I was, I was like focused on like creative stuff my yeah. entire life and, and had to have two parents that, kind of uh facilitated that and everything that they did was was like a match made in heaven i guess yeah <laughs> so well they, it sounds words. like sounds like they were fans of creativity or or art the art but were they at all because it sounds like they worked in sort of like jobs that maybe weren't necessarily creative i don't know or maybe right. they were i don't know but like or where do you think they you know their appreciation from the arts was instilled I, I'll be, that is a question that I would have to ask them Yeah, that I've never even, it's one of those things where, I mean, like as a child, you, I'm growing up in it. So I just kind of assumed that that was what everybody did, right, even though, right. I mean, it, I mean, I know it was a, a childish thought, but when I saw other people not even concerned with going to the Dayton Art Institute, yeah. going, to, going to see right, plays, right. I mean, yeah. that wasn't anything that any of my friends did. I mean, I didn't. I didn't go, you know, I never went to New York. It took me like 25 years to get to New York. You know what I mean? And my, you know, my dad drove a truck and, you know, my mom worked and, you know, we, I I would go to the museum sometimes for school, but, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't going to see plays or going to see art, a lot of art or, you know, it was, it's kind of, I feel like a lot of people just don't have that uh, experience. So they just don't really think about it maybe, but it, that is I mean, so that's, true. It's really great that you were able to do that at a young age. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would say I won't act as if there wasn't some creative gene that my, my parents had. I mean, my father would literally say that I want fill in the blank. If I can build it, make it, I'm going to make it. I mean, so he would make things. He was yeah. My father was a real, I mean, real big about, he was a maker. That's creative, uh, literally. Yeah, creative. exactly, exactly. I mean, like literally, he would. I mean, just say, "Well, I need a shed. I'm gonna go make a shed." I mean, he yeah. made little doll chairs for my and beds for my sisters for like Christmas. So he was a he was a maker, and my mother was not. I mean, creative in that, but there were so many people in on her side of the family, uh, and that's are still around, still with us. Yeah. That were. I mean, when I look at their work, I'm still like in awe. I mean, they were just very extremely creative people. And my, my sisters are, are that way. I mean, the way that they see things, the way that they make, they're, they're makers as well. Um, so it was just, I, I, I really don't know because both of my parents came from an extremely small town. I can't even say city, a little small town in, uh, in Georgia called mm-hmm. Tallapoosa. And my father grew up, I mean, pretty much being a, son of a farmer and my mother was uh, basically raised by her mother but more so by her grandmother because my grandmother her mother 
was working all the time. So, I mean, that was just, I, I really, I mean, I, that is a, an amazing question. I've never been thought to ask them why they were interested in the arts, but I mean, the both of them were. And yeah. I mean, well, I, I, I was benefit. Why would you ask if it's all, yeah. you know, you know, it's just from the outside, you know, it's sometimes you want, like I, yeah, you just, some people are just into it. You know yeah. what I mean? The same thing with yeah. music. It's like, I kind of like understand everyone who loves music and kind of perplexed by people who don't listen to music. I just don't understand that sensibility, but it happens. You yeah. know, it was pretty meta when you mentioned the uh, making dolls and chairs because right to the left of you right now oh. it's kind of like a doll in a chair <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm, i i'm actually preparing for a show and i know on a, a podcast people can't see this but right right I'll, I'll try well, to they can explain. Imagine yeah right i'm uh, i'm preparing for a show uh this coming january at uh, berea college in berea kentucky mm-hmm. and um i've mo- moved away from with intent, I've moved away from like just painting on canvases. And I'm saying just as if that's I mean sort of less than not saying that in the least. But for me, I, I mean when I teach I me mean, like speak to my students, I'm telling them that they have they, they should have reason for doing things so they they can kind of understand why they're doing it, so they can you know, sort of dissect it a little bit more, or study it a little, research or something. Yeah. And uh, as I was painting, I was literally automatically building stretchers and stretching canvas. And I never questioned why I was painting on, on I mean, stretch canvas. So uh, I'd always kind of been a maker just like my father was. So I just intentionally moved away from uh, the stretch canvas and started just kind of building these, I guess you would say, soft canvases. Almost, my wife calls them pillows. But they're not. They're not. They don't feel like pillows at all. But they're there's they're soft, and I make them out of uh, kind of, I guess you would say, uh, donated materials. Mm-hmm. And the minute I started kind of making these more three dimensional, I still call them canvases, but making them. Uh, it moved me into actually making more three-dimensional things. So uh, I'm preparing, like I said, I'm preparing for a show and I'm going to have a, a wall installation that uh, just happens to deal with, um, for lack of better words, the my being disillusioned by how many things are happening in our like government now that are feel to me like they're going backwards as opposed to kind of moving forward. And some really? Things that were- I haven't. I haven't noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, me, let me tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, you have subject matter for days on that. Yeah. 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 So it's uh, the I'm actually entitled in the show uh, "Actions Affirmed," mm-hmm. kind of the the kind of turn on affirmative action and so right, right. things. So uh, the so long story now long going into longer <laughs> the uh, the image of the the chair, not image, but the, the making of the chairs. I wanted to take two figures and literally put them in bondage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were considered African figures, but there's these going to be these two six foot long three-dimensional guns that are I mean, adorned with black flowers and black things that are, that are pointing at them. 
and they're going to move all the way to the centerpiece, which is going to be a rather large, I guess you would say, rendition of a telephone or a cell phone, mm-hmm. connecting or uh, appropriating the idea of um, like TikTok and the AI that kind of makes, I guess you would say, makes a black figure into a Wakanda figure. So it's oh, like yeah. this idea of trying their, you know, of us trying our best to find where we came from, but not really investing into it. Just this picture from AI is good enough for me for right, right. now. Yeah. So, so turn me into Wakanda and I'm, I'm fine. And I'm kind of delving into that idea and like what would actually mean, give us the, the feeling that that is enough when we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. So it's, I mean, and, and it, it, the, and I'm kind of, it sounds like a, a muddled soup of, of information, but the, uh, the, the whole title of the wall, I'm still kind of working on it, but it's something to the effect of the uh, ever, ever changing uh, making of the American Negro. I mean, mm-hmm. or creation, creation of the American Negro. So it's just this this process. So uh, they're they're actually sitting up there on purpose. I'm testing them because I'm trying to see how long they'll last. I mean, I, I need to make sure I don't have them falling off the wall. Right, right. Laying on the floor for half of the <laughs> Test show. Run. So, yeah. right? so I'm just testing them up there on the back wall. Yeah, yeah. that that's uh, that sort of the conceptual, you know, underpinning of that of the show and the work that you're talking about is really engaging. I mean, it's sometimes I try to wrap my head around it because, you know, when you're on the internet, you're you're bombarded with stuff, you know, and you come across things and the the idea of that sort of relationship to race and the packaging of it. And sometimes the, the way that that's um, performed online in a way, it's just so complicated now because there's so many different angles of the representation do you know what I mean? And misrepresentation that I don't even, it's like forest from the trees kind of thing. It's like so much. But then it all in a way too, it all gets boiled down to this sort of like weird concentrated, uh, like digestible. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I can imagine that being really engaging because that the conversation about the way that we interface with ideas or the packaging of that stuff. And it, it, yeah, there's a lot there. And the unpacking too. I mean, that, yeah. that part is, I mean, cause you know, when it, it's almost to the point where you don't want to even start the unpacking because there's just so much that's been packed in there for so long that you're right. almost afraid. And I'm, I'm speaking more uh, for myself because I don't want to act as if uh, my ideas are monolithic. I mean, I just don't, I know that, there's an attempt and has been an attempt to make things more almost like uh, or for lack of better words, monolithic. Um, and just knowing that there's so many diverse ideas and diverse, I mean, so so many diverse I don't want to make it seem as if I'm speaking for anyone but myself. Yeah. And I know that once I put whatever this thing is out there that more than likely there's going to be somebody out there that's going to question that himself. And I just want to leave room for them to question for them and not me telling no answers. Or I, I don't want to give an answer because, so, I mean, excuse my language, this shit doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah. So I yeah, mean, yeah. I'm I'm doing it because it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm hoping that through this process that it's going to make a little more sense, so I can at least continue this continue the process. So I mean, it uh, it's just yeah, I feel it's necessary, and I mean that's why I thank my parents and my sisters and everybody else that gave me the opportunity because I really feel like I had to be given the opportunity to say that I could be a creative person because I could easily have been. I mean, like going right back to Dayton and worked uh, in the, I mean, the auto industry. But I mean, that that could have been me with with ease. But yeah. my parents basically were like, "No, nah, I mean, step out. This is what we like. Literally, yeah. <laughs> this you're the reason why right. why you're able to do what you're doing. So I mean, get out of here. Go do what you're supposed to be doing." But yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Well, and it sounds like they were engaged in that kind of thoughtfulness when it comes to creative expression you know yeah. showing you guys that stuff early on and to follow that seems natural you know but i think that's the beauty of art too is when you're talking about not wanting to define it and becoming monolithic and being open-ended that's the beauty of art is that it it sort of asks the questions and it mirrors and you're talking about a very specific or not very specific you're talking about a specific sort of relationship to you know this the, an idea of a relationship between you know you or people in the world and i think we all have that greater relationship with existence too to where we can figure it out it's you know there are no it's not monolithic we don't know what the hell we're doing here (laughs) we're all trying to figure out in a way but then you know what i mean it's it's too overwhelming to really wrap your head around at the same time so you just kind of do the thing that feels like you're connecting or making some sort of progress or you know discovery yeah, and whether yeah. that's discovery through materials or three shades of blue in a painting or you're making you know like sculptures of figures i mean it's we're all just trying to sort of you know uh, move through discovery but it, it's it's that's why i think art is so amazing is because it's not defined you know there's open-endedness to where ideally people can discover things or think differently about a b or c or d you know that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, that's what, I mean, and I, I know when I hear uh, anyone, now this is the, I guess it's the professor side more so than, than just the artist side. When I hear people basically speak as if the art should somehow come to them in a nice wrapped up little bowl and here's the description, here's it. It's like, I mean, you're not researching like literally what, what's inside you that connects you to that thing. So there's no way in the world it's going to get what the artist is even I mean, giving you because there, there's no way in the world that this artist can literally say exactly what you should understand in their work. And it's the research of yourself that is the fun part that, I mean, like the, the like you said, you're a teacher and I'm a teacher. So, that you know, that studio is a time where you're trying to make, like, make these things tangible. <laughs> Yeah. Of these intangible ideas yeah, for sure. and then when i'm in the, when i'm in the classroom they don't know this but i'm sitting there trying to make sense of all of the information that's going to take me back to the studio and kind of go through the process again so the i mean the opportunity to sit and talk through it and i mean because we we have to teach art appreciation so yeah that idea of bringing students in and, and letting them know that they're yeah there are means and ways to understand what an artist is saying to you but then that little part of me is still in there like wow after i've read this textbook i'm now seeing why i do this or after i've 
had a conversation with this student that asked me a question that I never thought of. That's making me engage into, I mean, into fill in the blank, whatever it is in my studio. Right. And so it's, it's, it's not enough people, I mean, fully understand how beautiful that process is. So, yeah, I, I mean, I was almost spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> start, no, start I, I, now. Completely, <laughs> I completely agree though. And I think in my teaching, what's changed too, is I used to sort of like teach and like show slides or talk about what people are trying to get. And then I really understand the value of conversation. I mean, not, not just because I'm doing this every week, talking to amazing people, you know, but I do think just talking about things and instead of, you know, answering it or monolithic or, you know, defining and just saying, talking about the process, I think is so important to enable other people to discover their own voice or to explore their own voice instead of saying, this should be done this way, or you need to do this, you need to do that. So whether someone wants to make an image of a very specific traumatic experience that happened to them when they're younger, or someone who wants to paint a lot of red lines in different directions, it's all valid. It's all, you know, that expression that you're trying to get out there. And it, yeah, I think conversation can be such a, a, a great um, pathway through that to, of discovery. One so, thing I did want to mention really quickly is, did you read the, uh, the Rick Rubin book, the creative act? No, no. Sure. When he talks about breaking the canvas and getting out of just doing, not that everyone has to do it, but you know, don't be afraid to, it's kind of like what you're talking about when you make work, you were just saying, and then you read something, you're like, oh, that's what, <laughs> but he, well, he talks about, you know, using shape canvas or using materials and expanding your, don't be afraid to, um, you know, explode the conventions of things, which sounds well, like what you want to break into. And I, I mean, whenever I hear anything new, I'm, I'm automatically writing it down. What, what was the, the creative name? act? The, it's, it's an amazing book. You know, Rick Rubin? Yes. Yeah. It's weird because you would think it's about music production and yeah, the music exactly. industry. It's totally about art, you know, just making things. It's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah, when you say Rick Rubin, I'm like, I had no idea. I mean, that Run DMC was <laughs> yeah, Hello Cool J and making paintings, same thing. Yeah, I know, uh, I know. Um, uh, I forgot Run's brother. Uh, I got Danny Simmons, which is actually the, Russell the, Simmons. Russell, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're their uh, brother is an artist as well. So I, I can, I mean, I think his name is Danny or Dan, Daniel Simmons, Danny Simmons. So yeah, I know that, I know that they've been heavily connected and I know that, uh, I mean, Russell and Rick had as much of a kind of a creative connection as much as music. So I don't know why I didn't even think that I mean, automatically I'm thinking music as opposed to sort of. No, the, I did too uh, though. I did yeah. too because the, the production that he did was so, uh, you know, transformative, and and he was involved in very epic recording, especially our generation. Yeah, you know. Exactly. So to pick up a book, which I would have anyways, because I love music and I love reading about. I probably read as much, if not more, music biographies and things about music than I do art, because I like the the parallel oh. discoveries you can have with music, but it's not tied to the you know the didactic elements of of art world or oh. art history as much so it, there's a freedom in it you know you feel yeah you know like when i read uh did you read kind of blue and miles Davis i book? did not i'm not i mean i'll be honest with you i'm not the biggest uh i won't say i'm not the biggest reader i read a lot but the books that i read for some reason never fall into kind of creative 
it's always yeah. I mean, other sort stuff, of novels. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. yeah. So, I mean, I um, when when things come, well, I'm sorry, when I come across things or books that are, I mean, sort of are connected, I always feel like I'm looking for something, and I always do damage to the to the book itself. Now I know it's a, it sounds a bit of a cop out to, to be like that's the reason I don't read as much, but I'm always looking for an answer that oh man this artist is, and especially with biographies oh this artist did this specific thing and how does that connect to me I mean which I know I should be but I always do a disservice to the I mean sort of the the biography so I, I've kind of found myself not reading as no, many biographies that. about artists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so usually it's articles and information, right. bits of information, but uh, rarely a long read. I need to get back into that. Yeah. Well, like that, I, yeah, that, honestly, too, I always joke that I don't read because that much because I'm always using my eye. It's hard because, you know, as an artist, when you're in studio, you're in the studio. I mean, books on tape sometimes can work, but, yeah. but then I listen to podcasts or music, so... Yeah, it's hard to spend, you know, huge amounts of time reading because it will either make me fall asleep because I'm usually tired from doing too much, and no, or I just, you know, I'm using my eyes on things. So, but uh, the the kind of blue one was nice because it just talks about that record and basically, you know, I, I love like zoom ins like that where it's like a creative experience, you know, or when you hear document or you you'll hear like interviews about like how a song's made or. You know, things like that. To it's just the process is kind of fascinating. You know, yeah. That uh, I I know that it's not a book at all, but I for some reason landed on a uh, YouTube video. Uh, it was a it was a I mean, probably a number of months back. I was talking about breaking down one song from uh, John Coltrane, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I I can't pull up the the song right now in my head. The Giant Steps. It's yeah circle of fifths right it talks about the circle of fifths yeah yeah, yeah no. oh man <laughs> i need to contact you more often <laughs> it's a, one of the most beautiful songs ever written and it's fascinating like it's visual geometrically yeah. there's a pattern That's, to it that is actually it because the the uh youtube i mean creator that was talking about it was talking about it in not terms relative to art but it was so relative yeah. to the makeup and the body and basically the principles and elements of art that it was almost, it, it literally changed the way, you know how, how some things, I cut myself off, you know how, how some things that are not literally uh, like automatically connected to an idea or a concept that make so much sense that they literally open your eyes to everything about that concept that you didn't even like yeah. think of. So, I, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at, I'm literally like 50 years old at that point in time. Well, actually 51. And I was like, okay, I've never thought about music this way as being as complex as it is in the same context of a work of art being complex. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm thinking that I know enough in my decades of being in this, I'm thinking I know enough to kind of figure out 
complexities and ideas in visual art. And then I, I mean, like literally watch a YouTube video and it literally was almost like the matrix opening up <laughs> and I'm seeing <laughs> things that I had never seen before. So, yeah, totally. I mean, it, so I, so I, I do need to actually read into uh, a lot more uh, bios because I mean, when I'm looking for that, I, I'm never going to find what I'm looking for, but when I'm just open to it, it, it opens channels that I never thought existed. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's almost like you have to let it flow next to you and then certain things will resonate. But if you try to apply it to you, like you're saying, it'll smother it or something. You just have to let it it. put it in the driver's or in the passenger seat and just go along for the ride with it. Instead of like, you know, both of you trying to climb in and steer the wheel at the same time, you're going to crash. That's a beautiful way of saying it. I I, I, know. completely agree with that (laughs) in reading that or or thinking about i I think what you're talking about the analysis there's the famous analysis of giant steps of where i think it's bobby timmons was a piano player and he's just like how confounding that circle of fifths is and he can't like it's really hard to solo over because the way it moves and on piano i don't get piano like i tried to learn it (laughs) i played saxophone when i was growing up Uh uh-huh uh, piano is just hard because you're doing so much and it's very mm. and that stuff is so complicated but I always felt like I, I really related to that not being able to just lock in because sometimes things get so complicated you know you just I don't know some people's their minds are wired that way but I'm just yeah. like that's, that's not me I gotta keep it simple and it's, it's I mean it's still beautiful to even I mean, sort of I guess lock in for it's almost like <laughs> riding a riding a bull where it's like you're, you're on it for a couple of seconds but the minute you that bull knocks you off you really understand the power of it yeah. and i mean you might be a little bit afraid to get back on but at least you know the power of it at that point and that's i would say that that video i mean like literally did that because i i'm not a i love the the tone and complexity of music but since i i, I don't play any instruments I'm still blind to it, but to have, like I said, I mean, I hate to keep going back to that one video, but I mean, to open my eyes to that, to see, I mean, well, no, I'm not going to be able to just jump on the piano or a sax or anything like that and start playing, but to recognize that since I know kind of those elements in art, I can almost tap in and pick up some of those same elements in music that will give me like a more holistic idea of like the movement of sound and, and like the movement of <laughs> of of light and mute me like the understanding of color differently just right. through something i didn't even expect like i mean like I said i was it was beautiful that you said just allow myself to sit in a passenger seat enjoy the view and take it all in open my eyes to literally in that those same kind of avenues and so many other things yeah, yeah, I think the whole predication of art appreciation or engaging in art is is you know it's it's critical that the the viewer can still it the image can resonate with them without them knowing exactly how yeah. it's made or you know yeah. you may not know the circle of fifths and that but when you listen to Giant Steps I mean it's a great song you know yeah. what I mean? and like you yeah. can look at I don't know a Da Vinci drawing and that be like how in the hell did he do that or a Rembrandt painting with all the glazes and stuff it's like I don't know how. You know, but you can still appreciate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what uh, that's one thing 
that uh, oh, that you're familiar with the uh, Fibonacci sequence and yeah, it's like when I'm teaching that to the students, I always tell them that I, I kind of bastardize them a little bit because it would be a, literally an entire semester for me to actually an entire year to fully understand it, but just to know that I mean that sequence open kind of the door to understanding almost nature of everything and to sort of give the students an understanding that they're that everything is connected and it's just up to us to find those connections yeah. i mean more so for us and then we kind of give it to others when we display our works but to have that moment where you're understanding that these two dissonant ideas it's your job to pull them together and I mean, like glue them together in order to make sense for yourself. Right. It's an endless, like endless wealth of, I mean, like well of, of opportunity once they open their eyes and their, their minds to the idea that that thing can happen, but it takes you to actually do it. And that, that's, that's what, that's the reason I love the teaching aspect because I, I then pull that into the studio with my own works and I can't give myself excuses for like, not making connections between things. So right. that, that, I mean, there's, there's a beauty in, in that art and music connection that was opened up. And I mean, I'm very proud to say that uh, it's still <laughs> sort of doing its job in me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's funny because um, you know, growing up, I wasn't, I was okay at math to a certain point. And I think in calculus, I was just like, all right, I'm out. So, you know, it, it didn't really... I don't know. I just went into the creative direction. And then I, in graduate school, I took this class on fractals. Oh. And um, because I remember the poster for it, I saw a poster, I think, in a hallway. It looked cool. So I was like, oh, I'll take this because you have to take a certain amount of credits outside of, you know, art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It blew me away. I mean, it was about you can measure coastlines with fractals and then you can also <laughs> exponential growth. And it was very philosophical and just amazing, like how. Yeah. And, and basically it's mathematics in a way, you know, it's yeah. like dividing, dividing and expanding. And uh, it, yeah, it's, you can, you can have these parallel things that can influence you or feel, make you feel that like, oh, okay, I'm on a path here. And you may not totally understand that stuff, oh, or what, right. how it works, but it's oddly comforting when it resonates with the excitement that you have for whatever you're doing. And if you use it correctly, I feel like it can really give you some fuel in the studio or at yeah. least just make you tap into art as something deeper than just this looks good in a two inch by two inch square that someone scrolls through in two seconds. Yeah, exactly. And that's I me. Mean, that, that is such the beauty of it for me as well is that the, that unknown. Yeah. And I mean, kind of that X factor of not knowing and being okay with not knowing what the outcome is going to be and having a little bit of faith that, yeah, I mean, we're talking about the idea of fractals. Yeah, I mean, that, that idea of I take this small idea and sort of not so much blow it up, but sort of multiply it by certain yeah. things and yeah. ideas of, that it might happen this way, but it also might happen another way. And, and to be okay with that, I think that's one of the hardest things, but one of the most... Uh, strange to say the hardest thing but the most forgiving thing because there's not an answer in the first place to the hardest thing and the most forgiving thing in being an artist because what you're 
creating has not been created before. Yeah. That <laughs> and I mean the the beauty of it is to sort of in my head, the beauty of it is to follow along that path because you won't have that experience if you don't. Yeah. And that experience by you following that path of not I mean, the, the kind of walking in the dark and feeling your way through will influence everything that you do from that point forward, either visually or or just by the idea of I mean, sort of understanding and, and learning your own practice that you can't have control of everything. Right. Some of that stuff is going to literally be dark until you make it. Like it's going to be unknown until it's there in front of you. And knowing that I have to actually make that in order to learn the next step, it's something that I, I mean, I get into that so much in my work that like it's just, it's still fun. Yeah. Because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right. <laughs> and it would be kind of probably boring if we knew exactly what yeah, we were doing. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's the main, that's one of the main reasons why. I, I challenged myself to at least pull away from, I mean, just painting on canvas for a while because I knew I felt this urge to be, I mean, to make things. I'm not saying that the, because I would always stretch me and make and stretch my own canvases. And I'm saying I wasn't making those, but I felt this urge. And it was almost like that call of the void where I'm sitting over there, I'm looking, on, like, looking over the cliff saying, Man, I want to jump. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Feels like uh, that, right? Yeah, right. So I literally just went and, uh, and bought, uh, this was about two years ago now, I went mm-hmm. and bought a, uh, a sewing machine and just, I knew that I had that pool and that urge. So I just bought it and put it in the garage with some other stored, stored things, stored items. And I told myself, okay, well, I have a show coming up. After the show, I'm going to pull out that sewing machine and just do something. Yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, I didn't I mean I sketched some things, but I had no idea. I, mean, I didn't take classes on sewing or anything like that. But I mean, the idea of, I guess you would say, figuring out that, I mean, like solving that problem was going to be part of the enjoyment of just kind of getting into it. And I mean, it allowed me to kind of open up ideas that, based on, you know, like space and time and so many other things that I, would not have actually been, I should say, privy to if I'd actually continued painting the way that I was painting. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm big on painting. I've always had been. But for me, I was relying and resting on it too much. And it was the things that I was doing were, that I was painting were, they were becoming a little bit formulaic, for lack of better words. So getting into that making aspect, I mean, I, I couldn't do this thing behind me. <laughs> Right. sitting on a chair on the wall i mean that wouldn't exist if i hadn't sort of gone out and bought that that sewing machine and just started doing something so yeah that, that's the fun part to me. i mean that's the part that i love yeah yeah that it's funny that the the feeling round in the dark metaphor for something to sort of show up or it's so funny because it, it made me think this summer i went to naoshima in japan where there's a james wow. terrell where you go into this space and you walk in and it's pitch black you can't see anything and you feel along the wall to get there oh. and then you sit in the chair and there's like you know a handful of people that go in at one time and you're in there for like 15 minutes or something and then slowly your eyes adapt and then you see these like little areas of light and it's it was so amazing that metaphor just sounded exactly like the realization you were talking about of like feeling around in the dark and then something emerges that you never would have thought is even there 
but you really have to like you have to turn off your knowing mind and just turn on your being okay with not knowing and just exploring you know yeah and just knowing that something in there is connected to you i mean yeah. and you I mean and each person is going to go in and have a different feeling and different emotion and take something different from it and the beauty is, is that work of art sparked that that feeling and emotion and i, I, I just I, I would love for artists the audience whoever you are filling the blank to know that they brought something along to that work of art for that thing that they take away, fill in the blank, that thing that they take away to happen. It wasn't like the artist just did it. It wasn't like the audience just did it. There was a linking of those two, those people at that point in time. And the artwork was just a catalyst to start that conversation, just to move that person to think, do differently than they did when they, before they came. Yeah. And I, I think that's the beauty of it. And if I, I mean, if my work, if I leave enough in my work for that to happen, then I, I, I truly feel like I've done my job. Because I mean, right. I'm not expecting the person to get anything from it that I'm giving at all. Because I'm only doing the work in order for me to make sense of the stuff in my head. I'm just yeah, yeah. kind of putting it out there for anybody to see it that wants to see it. But it's beautiful if anybody gets anything from it. So. Yeah. Well, when you were in school, were you just sort of like working on your chops with painting? And was it, did you, because it sounds like this sort of like expansion is more recent, you know what I mean? I mean, were you sort of going through the ringer of like just developing your own lexicon of like making and working through, you know, um, you know, like the practice part of it to where you were like locked in? Well, it's, uh, I went to a college at, Tennessee State University. They had a, I guess we'll say a program that was more of a breadth of knowledge program to where you didn't really concentrate on any one thing. You I mean took all of the classes and once you all of the studio classes and once you actually had a certain amount of hours then you graduate from that. Um and I was into uh sculpture more and then I moved into painting more. But once I started painting, I always had that, I mean, that urge and yearning to go back to something three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to uh, grad school and I mean, graduated from Savannah College of Art and Design, I did think more paint. But the my professors challenged me to get away from, I mean, like these preconceived notions as to what paint is and was and should be. So I would say my, uh, and, it, and I'm sorry, there was a, uh, I think a six year gap between going to undergrad and graduate school. That's a good amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was, it was good for me and I didn't go directly in because I, I would have been just so open to whatever anybody would say that I probably just mimicked uh, as opposed to really thought about what I wanted to do with my work. So each one of those, I guess the undergrad, the time in between and grad school gave me, um, I guess you would say a solid ground on on just questioning things and creating ideas, I guess you would say tangibly, based on that question more so than like this idea, I want to paint this. I mean, so I did work in, I've always worked in like series of work, 
but it's always been this this thing about the question more so than an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so my work kind of falls into that. I know that's not the best answer to give for, for that question, but literally, I, I never wanted to be on solid ground. I mean, I, I think that that has been a curse and a blessing for my, I guess we'll say my career at this point in time, because I'm always kind of questioning what am I, I mean, what I'm doing as opposed to say, staying in a specific solid ground. Right. But this is, I will say this, these works over the past, let's say three years, feel like a solid ground. I mean, a lot more than it ever has in, in everything I've done. And I'm not saying that I've been unhappy with my style or if you want to call it that or whatever I've been doing, but I've always, I've, I've questioned, I've questioned things a little bit too much. And I mean, I think now I'm at a point where I'm able to question it with enough, I would say a degree of a strong foundation that the works that I'm doing right now will make a lot more sense physically. Yeah. <laughs> if that's, I'm not sure if I'm explaining no, it correctly. No, I know but, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the tangible thing is connecting a lot more. Right. And it's allowing me to be able to question things that I have not questioned before in my life. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm enjoying that part of it because you know how you, you the making aspect of it is not automatically connected to the the artistry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little more connected to the craftsmanship. Right. And I'm enjoying the, the craftsmanship part because that part is stable. Whereas the conceptual aspect of the painting i can do whatever heck i want to do i'm I'm still questioning things so there's a good i feel like there's a nice marriage between those two now where before the craftsmanship was really just connected to the concept it was painting for me yeah it's the (laughs) image right yeah image representation (laughs) of it whenever you break that into the three dimensions you're crafting the object there's a a bit more of a reality to it in a sense. It's like there's the, it's funny because there's just as much of a making in a way with painting. It's just on a flat surface. So the image becomes more of the, the lead player than the actual thing. Right. Because I mean, part of the reason so many people want to use the default stretch canvas is so people forget that it's on a stretch canvas and you just lose yourself to a picture. Whereas, you know, your stuff that you're, you know, working on now is really you're noticing that this is you're showcasing the making of it. It's a, a it plays a bigger role in the interpretation of that image than just you know the painting. Yeah, you hit it on. It's the image making versus object making. Yeah, and I mean that idea of the object being just, I mean, just close enough and just connected enough to the image that it feels like it's the right thing for me to do. But when I'm making and putting together these, I mean, different pieces of fabric and all of these things that just feels like I'm sort of sewing and I'm doing, um, and knowing that I have to do that in order for the image to happen, it it really makes it to where, I, I guess you would say, it, it makes it more real for me than what I was doing before because I, I was becoming very relaxed in what I was doing and painting. And I'm always, uh, I always have always had this concept of if something's going well, I need to throw a monkey wrench into it. 
So I'm not, I'm not dissecting it enough. And I felt my, I felt that I had gotten so comfortable with my painting that I wasn't really dissecting why I was painting. And to have it connected to my work now to where I'm painting on things that don't really feel like they should be painted on and making things that don't really feel like they're truly connected to what I was doing before has opened my, I would say it's opened my creativity up enough to where I think it's a little more sustainable for me as opposed to just saying, Oh man, I got a show coming up. Uh, Let me see you. And, and, Okay, 15 paintings with it. Okay, this size. But now I know that I literally have to put some, I mean, like some man hours into the into the making yeah, yeah. of these objects. And then and and then hopefully if, if people hear this, I'm they don't think that I'm talking about painting itself. I'm talking about me as a painter. Right. Because I, I know I've painted for so long. I know that there's a a real strong object and image, I mean, sort of connection there. There's so many people that have challenged paintings relatively you know, like that's a necessity in, in the art world for, for too long. So I'm never talking about that idea of painting because I still love the idea of standing in front of a two-dimensional flat plane and sort of having that painting take me away. But I was relaxed with it. And I, well, I, I, I never felt that it's it's you that was your need. Your like your need is to be able to throw the monkey wrench. I think it's problematic when when people from the outside will say, "Well, like, well, all painters need to throw monkey wrenches in their work all the time, or all painters just need to have one style and stick to it, or all sculptors need." You know, it it's it's conditional upon the artist. So yes, some people lock in when they just. I mean, look at Ankawara. You know what I mean? He was just. Mm. I mean, that is a lock-in of all lock-ins, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's yeah, right. what it's about. That that must have fueled him because he wouldn't have done that every day for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's like a meditation thing there that he's getting out of it. I mean, John Coltrane had to write Giant Steps because he was he his work, his creative essence was about exploring and breaking things into, you know, these sort of like layers, you know, and then there's people like the Ohio players who their sole job and reason and, and fulfillment is making people shake their ass on the dance floor, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) That's their calling. There's no, one's not better than the other. It's, it's when I think what makes great art is when the artist locks in with that thing that they're trying to say and they hit that, you know, that zone of under, it's more of a zone of understanding what their voice is and what they need to say than it is, oh, I need to make something like this because this is more interesting or this is what we're supposed to do now. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. And I felt I felt like my paintings were screaming so loud at me that I wasn't really able to hear anything else. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. Like, it was like, and, and then I was also uh, the, when the audience, anybody that sees the work, is also kind of patting you on the back because oh man this is this is I mean, really really good and it is right and nobody ever knew that that was the worst thing I needed to hear at that point in time because the paintings were just speaking so loud that I could not hear any other voice like in myself to do something different yeah. and I, I was just being called to do something different I know it doesn't seem like you know fifty two year old and having something call you to do something different might not be the best time but i'm like not so much in art it's like okay well all right i'm listening 
Yeah, no. That God isn't a kiss of death when you only listen to other people and yeah. not say like, "Oh, I got to do this because they said this is good," or yeah. "This is what sells," or "This is what I should be making." You know, it. I mean, yeah, you could. I guess it could resonate with people, but it's not resonating. I would think for the right reason or the real reason you're wanting to make it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it would just be a slow death for me. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, I don't want to. I won't die that type of slow death at all. Not at all. And because at the end of the day, no one else, when we go to our studio for eight hours, no one else cares. Like no one, I mean, you know, they'll look at your show and they'll give you opinions, but they're not in there making it. So if you're like making that work for someone else, I mean, you're just not going to stay with it long or you're going to drive yourself nuts. I mean, you just have to like, I think you have to find your own voice and really, and you know, you all, you have to interest yourself, even if it doesn't interest the masses or whatever. I mean, you because if you're not interested in it, then it's just going to feel empty or hollow, you know. It's going to feel like somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to feel like mine. Right. At, uh, and, and sometimes it's uh, it's best to hear I mean, what what that little voice that is being kind of crowded by everything is best to hear that and give it time to sort of I guess plant a seed and grow into something that might take you where you are supposed to go, as opposed to listening to everybody else and take you to a place where you've already been. So right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's hard though. It is a tough, tough it, it, thing. It is. It's like yeah. your face. You know, you're yeah. born with it. You gotta, you know, you or or your look or whatever. You try to work on it. You try to present yourself or whatever. But at the end of the day, you just have to. You're you. You know, you're not someone else. So you just gotta get comfortable with you. And the irony is, is when you are very comfortable with yourself or when you feel like, yeah, I'm, you're, you're very confident and just, this is who I am. That is a very attractive, that that's a very great state to be in, you know what I mean? But not easy yeah. to get to. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's kind of giving you a sense of comfort that it might be a possibility of lulling you into <laughs> Right, right. Lulling you to sleep or anything <laughs> like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's. Got to go go to the gym and brush the teeth and do all those things to make yourself right. look yep. a little bit better. But yeah, I mean that's but, the same thing in the studio. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I I feel like once in a while when I clean the studio, you know, because it can, can get a little hairy in there, you know, and I clean it up and I I put things out. I just I don't know. There's a certain kind of like calm that comes about, and I was like, okay, now I can restart. Now I can yeah. dig back in, and it's exactly. just man. I mean that's. I don't, I don't know we have, I mean, as artists, we have wonderful families and wives and all of that, but to, to hear kind of that echo from another artist that I mean, is literally doing the same thing that you're doing, because like after a certain point in time when the show is kind of being prepared, I mean, like preparation for this is kind of slowing down and I'm looking at the studio and it looks like a tornado was hit it. <laughs> and I started kind of putting things back in order. Just like you said, it, I mean, it, it literally is like this breath of fresh air that comes into you like, oh, man, new ideas. I mean, oh, that's where those new ideas are. Okay, we're going yeah, yeah. to start putting th- new things together. And I mean, and then we we're just talking about before that connection, just I mean, knowing that there's still a beautiful connection to the, that that little fire that was in you that kind of moved you to, to be an artist in the first place. That cleaning up of things kind of gives a little bit of oxygen for that fire to grow a little bit, grow a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. So, yeah, for I sure. love talking to other artists that, that kind of know that innately have yeah. that in them. Yeah, but to put it in words is kind of nice to hear. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny too, in that book, Rick Rubin talks about, um, uh, like a responsible detachment or taking your own time or taking a break or resetting, you know what I mean? How important that is. Yeah. And it, it really is because like I'm, I have a show coming up in March and here in New York and, you know, I've been working on the work for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and I hit that point to where it was just like, I don't know, like bedlam in the studio where it's like, yeah, I'm getting work done, but it's just a little chaos, you know? And then I did that where I just like kind of reset clean, like reorganize my brain a little bit. Then I went, I went, you know, to Japan for a few weeks and I just felt like I came back so energized and sometimes you have to step out, you know, to be able to see clearly in a way you have to like disengage for a minute because when you're, when you're in that tornado, the eye of the hurricane, man, it it gets a little, you know, it gets a little wild in there. You just gotta (laughs) like take step away for a second, calm down. I was tell whenever I teach, I, it's been a little, but when I teach beginning painting I, and they're working on a still life or something, I tell them, you have to take a break. You have to step back. Wow. Because if your face yep. is just in there for hours after hour, you know, it, it's going to get a little, you know, you have to like hit the reset button. Yeah. And that's the same thing with me. I, I told them there has to be an ebb and a flow with me. You gotta can't like force this painting into being what your what your expectation of it is. Then you're not going to learn anything from it. It's like, yeah, at least get an arms lift away from it. And then once your arms lift away from it, you see it a little bit differently and then get away from it. <laughs> Come yeah. back the next day. You're going to see it completely different. And I mean, they, they, uh, I, I saw it, that's what I love about being around students because it's, you kind of put yourself, I mean, you put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Like when you were a student at that point in time and the things that you probably needed to hear may be a little bit different what they need to hear yeah definitely but, i mean i feel like i'm almost like i'm talking to myself as i mean a student whenever i'm talking to like a painting student like i teach 3d sign as well so whenever i'm talking to them it's almost like what would i need to hear if i were doing what they're doing at this point in time right and it's so beautiful to be able to actually say that and then take it back to the studio and still investigate it the same way totally and, like yeah, okay, yeah. what what do I need to hear at this point in time? There's nobody else in here. My wife's pretty good. See, my wife is very good about coming down and saying, "What what, is, what are you doing?" What is, yeah, yeah. So, so she has that equity with me. Yeah, to, say that, to come down and say that. But that is it's so interesting to see that in the classroom and actually be able to bring it into the studio and still kind of investigate things that uh, that might need to be researched a little bit more pulling that back into the class is this this real nice cycle that happens when it when it goes good yeah <laughs> it's yeah, a real yeah. nice cycle that happens that you're kind of being fed in the end so i'm yeah. always uh trying my best to find ways to to feed those ideas man yeah. i've learned so much from teaching though it's crazy and not yeah. like in the way that you think not like the the normal learning you know like i used to teach and think man i used to have it so hard you know, like we didn't have all this resources and, you know, just this and that about like when I grew up, we didn't do this, you know, we looked at microfiche or something and that, you know, like crap like that. Now I realize when I grew up, I had a maid, you know, there wasn't all this pressure. We weren't like, I didn't have to make a painting and like, you know, in intermediate oil painting and then post it and feel like it's crappy and I'm not, it's not ready for prime time. And everyone's looking at me all the time because everyone sees everything I do and I can't be off the grid ever, you know, like you realize, Oh, okay. 
Actually, and we're of the same generation. I mean, someone posted a video, a reel or something about Gen X, like when, the way we grew up of like, you know, riding in the back of the car where the window is and just like all this crazy stuff. Like I, I was a latchkey kid. I came home alone, you yeah. know, yeah. You just go out at night and you were supposed to be home by dark, which today seems like bonkers you know what i mean well maybe especially too because i live in new york city but i mean it's just so different you know what i yeah. mean and, yeah uh, and you realize like oh yeah like things are different and it's not like it's all easier now just because things are quote unquote easier it's actually like way more the deluge i, yeah. I can't imagine imagine i mean kind of everything that you just said creating a work feeling good about it and then going online and seeing upwards of a million people that, that are doing it 10 <laughs> times better, 10 times better. Than like, like, That's brutal. That's brutal. I mean, I, I knew, even, I knew what I was doing was crappy, but I didn't have to worry about anyone caring about it. And, and everybody posting to show that mine right. is 10 times better than mine. Like, hey, right, and I, right. I never even knew that there were that many artists out there when it would be yeah, on just having that instant access to literally any artist that you're wanting there, knowing that there's millions of other people doing exactly the same and like having the wherewithal to still say that I'm going to go through this and I'm going to sort of see this to the end of it is, yeah, that, that is tough, man. That's, That's really, daunting. Really tough. Yeah, and now it's not it even is. just other people who do it really well. Now they have to worry about AI doing it better than <laughs> yes. they ever will, which is, <laughs> Which is not the point, everyone. If you're listening <laughs> and you're a student or you're a young artist, it doesn't matter. AI doesn't matter. Your voice, what you're, why you're not as good as anything else is what makes you amazing. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. your own personal quirks are what are going to separate you from anyone else, not just exactly. quote unquote being good. And have you realized that uh, AI is starting to podcast on its own oh, <laughs> oh no sorry go ahead <laughs> we have to find out about those man. take them out right? <laughs> our conversation is so much better when robots do it than when we're doing it. <laughs> we Damn. can just listen to the robots yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, sorry you were saying it's, starting, that, to, that it's, it's starting to feel like ai is creating its own style i mean it's yeah. like my um sister was posting something on on facebook or something like that but was uh, an image of old women next to huge, like uh, crocheted cats, mm -hmm. and she posted as if, like, "Oh my god, look at the amazing work that this old woman!" And I kind of was like, "That's AI." <laughs> like, in, in my eye, I'm, I'm having to look at it so so much yeah. that it's almost creating a style for itself. It's like, and, and the amazing part is knowing that it's going out and literally harvesting all these images in order to create this other image it's kind of showing literally what we kind of look like right. <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. this is us so i mean I, i've been telling students like no i mean like if you're a creative person there's ways to use ai that's going to be just as creative as uh as if it's a paintbrush i mean like yeah. you use it to find a new path in your own work and i mean it won't be like the fear of AI taking over with it won't take over if if you're creating your own work. It exactly. just kind of yeah, rolls yeah. right right next to you and you use it when you need to and 
put it away when you don't need it. So I like mean, any other tool, right? Yeah, all, you exactly. know, everyone thought exactly. when you know when TVs came out, then that's the end of whatever. Like it, that always happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it's good to know that they're starting their own style though, because that means AI is basically dead. Because yeah. you know, they always say like, you know, when an artist has reached as when they're not interesting anymore, they're just beating a dead horse and making the same image over and over again. Well, AI is doing the same thing. So and no one's, real, Im- no one's immune. Yeah. No one's immune. Right. Yeah. They're hitting singularity on that. It's like, in yeah, like exactly. it takes us like 30 years, but you know, they are, AI is fast. So <laughs> it's already obsolete. Exactly. <laughs> trying to find the next thing. I guess we'll step in now and just keep doing our thing. Right. <laughs> Like we have it for a hundred thousand years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you're, where's your studio? Is your studio where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I live kind of a strange life. I guess I would say that I, I teach at uh, Tennessee state university, but mm-hmm. which is in Nashville, Tennessee, but I live uh, right outside of Atlanta. So I go up on uh, Mondays and come back home on Thursdays. Damn. That's so, a commute. Is- it is yeah yeah I've, I've been doing it for 10 years so it's it's not anything new yeah. uh i most definitely would love to find a position but it's so specific that uh it's kind of difficult to find what well, has been kind of difficult to find a position anywhere in this area because people are holding on to their jobs quite <laughs> a bit differently than they used to yeah but yeah my uh i mean just so i could at least give my family time and and I mean, sort of attention. Uh, I have a in-home studio that, that I work in. Nice. You know, it's a long, long answer to say, yeah, my studio's in my house, but yeah, there's reasons for it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I've, I've uh, created a, a space here at home and makes it a little bit easier to sort of be away when I'm to and still feel connected to family when I'm here. Right. So it, it's it's worked. Uh, it's worked okay. It's worked when, all right. Well, when you're working, when you're in your flow state. You know, you're in the studio and you're making your stuff. Is it quiet? Are you listening to music? Are you listening to podcasts, movies? Like, what's your, you know, your your close sort of like inspiration that's keeping you? I, I mean, I, uh, unfortunately, I'm one of those people that listens to true crime a little bit too much. That's uh, fine. So I mean, that is, you know. <laughs> that I mean, that's a, like you know, you did you listen to Serial when that first came out? No, I didn't. I mean, I, uh, strangely, there's this. Uh, I was listening to when I found the like the a few specific people on YouTube. I would actually watch them. So there's this thing called that chapter, and mm-hmm. this guy called Mister Ballin. So there's a couple of people that I listen, but I, I once that gets a little bit too much to where I'm not getting anything because I never get anything from it, other than I mean it bothering me to the point where i'm trying to find what these people look like and I, so it, it takes me away from it. it takes me away from the work that i'm supposed to be doing so then uh my kind of second realm i guess you would say would be uh audio books so mm-hmm. I, I i mean once i i do my best when i'm listening to an audio book uh because i'm able to kind of hone in to my kind of making and then I mean, when I'm actually image making, I can actually get into the ideas and really get it. It forced, I don't know why it forces me to kind of streamline my my ideas a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I have to follow the, I'm literally following the, the storyline 
while I'm actually working on my own storyline and my work. Right. So I get the most out of that. So whenever it's like, okay, I got to turn this mess off. <laughs> turn these true crime off. I'm not getting anything from it. I'll, I'll literally find a book that, I mean, it's just, it's always uh, pretty much fiction. Mm-hmm. Fiction novels and all of that. Once I find a good story, I'm into that. And then the other thing is I'm, I'm big into sports. So, yeah. I mean, I will listen to sports documentaries quite a bit. Uh, and those are really the three that, I mean, like sustain me. I rarely listen. I used to listen to music all the time. I would think. And in years back. And it probably did. The, that probably was the best for me. Yeah. And I have, it's one of those things where you, I have no earthly idea why I don't listen to music more while I, you know, when I'm working now. Uh, because it does take me to a, a place where I'm honed in and I'm connected a little bit more. And I, I don't, I really don't have any answer as to why I, I don't, I don't say I stop because I still do, but it's not nearly as much. I think the other things have kind of taken hold a little bit more than they really need to. Yeah. And I mean, Whenever I'm looking for new music, those are the times that I actually put the music on. Like, man, have you ever literally answered a question that hadn't been asked you? Like a light bulb just hit me. Yeah. I was listening to music when I was working and trying to find reason. I guess you would say to change. Mm-hmm. And that just hit me because I, I I'm sitting there wondering like, why did I stop? I mean, what, what was the, and it was right around the time when I started doing the works that I'm doing now. When you switch over the more narrative stuff, like audio well, format narrative. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I, yeah, when I kind of stopped the music and started kind of going into the true crime and then yeah. and listening to novels and all of that literally matched the time when I, kind of stopped the, not stopped, but kind of pulled away from the uh, painting on canvas and started making. And it might have been, I don't know if it was me just taking my mind off of the uh, off of the work or putting my mind onto the work. I'm not sure. But that was around the time when I, I kind of stopped listening to, to music. So that, yeah, man, I, I'm looking now. It must like, have I'm just like, been, you know, serendipitous. Like it, yeah. it kind of fit the change or something. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it, it hit me just then like a light bulb, like, man, that was around the same time. So, I mean, it. Uh, in fact, I, I I do need to research a little bit more. I might actually kind of put the music back on now. See, when you <laughs> agreed to do this podcast and you were like, all right, I'll do it. It's going to be a waste <laughs> of two hours of my life. It's not totally worthless. <laughs> man, Unless you go down some down sort of... Like- and, 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 and unless you go down some sort of music rabbit hole in the studio where it's like nothing but funk and then your paintings just start having like star-shaped sunglasses over everything and giant guitar strings and stuff. I think it was zoning. I mean, I don't even make it like a negative at all, but I was kind of zoning out in my paintings. Yeah. Uh, like like literally my, my paintings on canvas, I was, I was so into doing it without question that I was kind of zoning out that the music was kind of facilitating the, that continual kind of just movement. Yeah. And I wasn't really investigating uh, my own work that much. 
And literally, when I when I picked up the the sewing machine and started working, I would just I, I, you know, something changed, I guess. I mean, but because I start I stopped listening to music, I started listening to the other things. It's almost and, like a parallel, yeah, like a mental side quest. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. as your work is changing, <laughs> like I'll the, make it seem like this investigation of this new thing was kind of connected to the investigation of true crime. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that. But <laughs> But it, no, but uh, to your point earlier, when you were saying it feels good when things resonate, even if they're not locked in exactly, yeah. but there's certain things that are resonating, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know how to define it, but maybe it's just sort of like, you know, serendipitous, yeah, unconscious. Uh, yeah, I, I feel it is. I, I, know I know the listeners are probably like, this dude, I know what the heck he's doing. No, no, that's not it. I, I don't know exactly what happens chemically when I drink coffee before I go to the studio, but... It, it does something that I need. <laughs> I don't need a scientist to tell me why, but if I don't have it, it goes awfully slow in there. <laughs> Same here, man. I need something yeah. a little pick me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need like cellular resonance with my, you know, movement in the studio. <laughs> Gotta happen. These things work well, man. They they really do. I mean, yeah. it, uh, that uh, that idea of of seeing that you and I just talking and opening up things that I hadn't really thought of before. Uh, I can't help but to expect something different in my work to happen uh, after this conversation. So, I'm Oh, like, man, if you make a left turn and it goes south, gonna, <laughs> don't blame me. Brian <laughs> this was a point right here. <laughs> you derailed everything. Yeah. Uh, no. I'm it's sure so it's well. Gonna, it's going to go great. <laughs> Um, where's when's the uh, let's talk about what you got coming up? So, the show you were talking about, yeah, yeah, it's, when uh, does that open? It actually opens uh, the first week in January and it's at uh, Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. And, um, basically, where's Berea? Uh, I don't, it is, I know Louisville, uh, it is between it's on uh, Interstate 75, uh, between Lexington and Cincinnati. Okay, so it's it's, it's about. I would say maybe about midway between uh, between the two, mm -hmm. and um, a really interesting, extremely interesting college, man. They uh, basically, if you're accepted into the to the university or college, uh, you're automatically on scholarship. So, nice. I mean, not to say it's a free university, but you're by being accepted, you're, I mean, literally I mean, on scholarship. So, yeah. The uh, the idea of that and me being the parent of two uh, college grads and seeing the the loan amount oh <laughs> yeah it's kind of kind of rough it's real these but, days yeah but also the uh, the college um, kind of is known for a uh, court case from back in like the eighteen hundreds I believe when they were. And kind of creating this college for any person that was going to be accepted. I mean, so it was completely integrated. And uh, I mean, I may be kind of saying the whole story incorrect, but uh, the state of Kentucky was basically filing a lawsuit against that that college mm -hmm. because they wanted to make sure that the students, schools were segregated. Right. So this one school was attempting to fight that. So having I mean, my work at a, at a school that was really fighting for all people and all that was 
kind of a nice thing to uh, to find out. So For sure. I, I was almost a little bit of afraid because this this work that I'm doing is is literally tied to that idea of what we were talking about earlier that opportunities have been in the process of having opportunities to level playing fields and all that. It's a uh, people are sort of warring against that now. And so yeah. some of the works that I was pretty much putting into the show will make people question those things a little bit. So you never know how, how a college or a university is going to accept certain things, but they were like, Hey, we accepted you when we saw the work. So yeah, bring it on. So yeah, yeah. I'm really, really happy that, uh, I'll be able to say some things in this show that that uh, I feel pretty strongly about right now. Yeah, that's great. And so the work, are you pretty far along in the work? You still have a lot to go? or uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, uh, pretty far along because I, I'm going to have uh, some works that already exist. Uh, have like, uh, the main work, I guess you would say, is going to be that uh, wall installation. That's mm-hmm. what I'm working on right now. And I would say it's about uh, about three quarters of the way complete. Um, I do have like the uh, big six foot long like AK-47s that I'm kind of finishing up with the, I'm just literally adhering I mean, black flowers and black things that I've painted that kind of have some slight connection to the idea of enslaved people and the ideas of movement and all these kind of coded little concepts through animals and i mean it's just a lot of things that i've actually painted black so the whole gun is black i'm sorry they're going to be pointing towards the two figures um and there's going to be some sense of uh and i'm saying going to be some sense i've already thought it out but there's going to be some sense of forcing a uh a black figure to be a stereotype um with kind of black face. So there's a number of things that, that people might, I mean, it might touch some feelings a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but I'll, like I said, I'm, uh, the idea, and I'm trying my best not to get into anything political, but I mean, I can't help but to say yeah, no. I mean, what this is about. The idea of this, that we as black people were studied to see how human we were, right. is something that I thought was in the past that we were dealing with as of right now, but the uh, political kind of field of, of understanding that there's an oppressed people, but intentionally trying to pull things away and pull the rug out to sort of continue a sense of kind of oppression is mind mind boggling to me. Yeah. So the uh, fight to end affirmative action, however you feel about it, is intentional. The fight to end uh, abortion, is, well, it's not specifically racial, but it's intentional. The fight to, I mean, take the concept and the idea of critical race theory, however you feel about it. The idea of taking history and kind of saying that certain histories are okay to speak about, but others aren't. All of those happening in the same time, it seems extremely intentional. And to have a people that studied as much as we've been studied about in negative connotations, to know that that studying is still going on, uh, that's what I'm talking about in this show. 
And yeah. it's not the, I mean, I'm not talking about the idea of, oh, I mean, y'all should be messing with black folks. Now. No, it's not that. It's saying me as Samuel Dunson is seeing that the strides to become better and to better a community has always been kind of challenged. I mean, so we must, as black people, must be doing something pretty good right now for someone to challenge right. us <laughs> and to try to take, take, take things that were already kind of settled to take those away. We, there must be a fear that something's happening and I don't know what that is. So I'm trying to study it now. And that's what the, the works are kind of uh, dealing with that. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, and it seems like it's acceptance and then people are uncomfortable with that. The kind of people who are uncomfortable with, you know, other anyone other than their own self or something, you know, it, yeah, I think it's really, I'm really excited to see the images for the show. I mean, that, that, that's, uh, I was, I was grown, raised, and taught to treat people with the respect that humans should be, mean, should be given. Um, so there's, I, I don't have, I'm not a person that has animosity, but my work does. Yeah. Um, because, I'm, I'm trying to figure out and work and like research and dissect all these things that make me tick. And there's a, there's a little bit of anger in me, uh, that has to, it has to mean I have to feed it. Right. <laughs> it's strange yeah. to say that but because I'm not an angry person. I mean, I can't help but to laugh. I can't help but to smile. And I don't know why that little bit of me angers me when I'm not confrontational personally, but my work tends to be a bit more confrontational. So I'm, I'm always taking an opportunity to feed that little bit of anger, but I always I have always kind of mixed it in with whimsy, humor, and I mean, so many other things. So there's a there's a bit of whimsy and humor that falls into into these figures that I've, I've created into the paintings that I've created. There's always this little strange element and whimsy that I put into it, not to make it palatable to the audience, but to make it palatable palatable to to myself. Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm doing it in such a way that I'm not hurting my own feelings because I um, because I am that that I guess that person that. It's really not confrontational. So in order for, I mean, like after I finished this, this work with the figures and for anybody that's listening, I have a, basically a, a masked figure sitting in a chair and I've made the doll, it's a doll figure. And I made that figure very, a black figure with an African mask sitting in the chair. And I've made uh, um, old, like 1875 uh, shackles uh, to put on the figure. The shackles was the last thing that I that I made, like crafted. And I went through the process of going through and putting the shackles on those figures. And it it, it scared me. I had to get away from it. I mean, I was like, I'm I'm literally, it felt like I was putting the shackles on an actual thing as opposed to it just being a work of art. And that's where that making <laughs> that's where that making part in the <laughs> it's a little it more real. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. not. That's that. It was crazy. 
that thing was not real at all when I was making it. But when I made the shackles and I had to put it on that thing, that thing became a person that had history and life and all those. And, and I, I mean, I literally, it scared the shit out of me. Excuse my language. It scared, yeah, yeah. scared me. And I had to get away from it. I went upstairs and I told my wife, I was like, I just did something I wasn't expecting was going to happen. <laughs> so, right. so it was like, uh, I mean, it's I me. Mean, it's just like that. Or, or why I why I still do this? Right. If if anyone gets anything from it, there nobody's gonna know that I had that scary feeling. Like like you were saying, when they see it in the in the in the show, they're not gonna know what I was feeling and all of that when I made it. So I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for me. <laughs> so yeah. they're just they're just gonna have the opportunity to see what I did, but they're they're not gonna know that that scared the heck out of me. And then I and I will probably hate this work that I that I made. I mean, mm-hmm. due to the fact that it made me so mad and so angry. Uh, but if I don't do it, I won't be able to do the next one because yeah. this thing will sit on my head too long. So that's and a long. It, I mean, it's a long story. No, no, but it yeah. sounds like that's the way you're getting that that out. Either that's the yeah. avenue, you know, because there's other people who might make you know all gray monochrome paintings. And then they leave the studio and they go march or they go write letters to people or they do, you know, social activism out in the, out in the public or, you know, there's yeah. different people have different avenues of, you know, of, of getting different things out. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you just got to yeah. listen to that voice inside just as, you know, any other like inclination you have to sort of express yourself in different ways. Right. You know, some people, some people will, you know, want to, you know, take up arms and try to break into the Capitol building. Other people will yep. want to write a poem. You yep. know what I mean? Some people yep. will want to make a movie about it. It's just, it's different ways to sort of talk about a relationship to the world, you know? And it's, yeah. it's a multifaceted and very complex relationship. So it's never, it always confuses me when people expect people to do a certain kind of thing or express their views in a certain kind of way you know what i mean like oh well now you know we're in an environment where people need to if you're not making work about social practice or activism then you know it's not meaningful well it's like it'd be but that's not how everyone gets their voice out on those matters they might do that in a whole other channel of their life that you don't know about but maybe their artwork needs to feed them in a different way you know what i mean and vice versa you know so yeah and that's the man and and that's the beauty of it I mean, that's, I mean, if I'm going in and see this, I see this work and I'm knowing that it's the product of something, process, then it's going to be up to that person that looks at that work to bring me, I mean, the political aspect in it. Because I, I, I'm not like literally latching on to say, hey, I am fill in the blank, Democrat, Republican, right, left. Conservative liberal leader. No, I just I felt something at a point in time that I had to get this feeling out, and this is the way that I'm doing. Yeah. The beauty of it is that it's going to pass. <laughs> and yeah. If it doesn't, if I don't create this thing for myself to put out, then it won't pass for me. And I'll be left wondering and thinking. Why am I feeling angst <laughs> yeah. through my day 
right <laughs> when i mean by me doing this is lessening load a little bit and, yeah. i mean i'm not saying that i carry a load i mean i'm very thankful for everything that has brought me to this specific point but i i do know that i mean there's that little bit of thing that when i hear something or see something that i have to say that yeah i'm, I'm angry even though i'm smiling 90 percent of the time there's something in me that has to find its way out right so yeah yeah i always think it's really interesting too when you meet someone who has a certain artistic voice and then they're totally different you know what I mean? like, like some like massive punk rocker but they're like the sweetest person in the world but when they're on stage they're just losing their head they're screaming you know what i mean like that kind of dynamic it's like no that's just the avenue that's where i let it all out you know what i mean other people like hyper mellow and then they go to the gym and they're just like beast mode you know yeah or athletes some athletes are like you know, like a football player, rugby player just destroys people and they come off and they're like the sweetest people in the world. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's, we're complicated beings. <laughs> I, I was just watching an interview today that kind of mirrored that that uh, that idea. So, yeah, I was just uh, like, man, it's, they were just ran over somebody. And then yeah. <laughs> speaking on the interview after, I was most like, nicest kind of person I've ever heard. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's, uh, and it's, um, uh, a lot of people over the many years that I've been doing this uh, always felt that there was a strange connection between my work and myself because my work really never looked like it came from me. Mm -hmm. uh, just due to the fact that since I'm not, I mean, I don't mean when I say I'm non-confrontational, I'm confrontational when it needs to be, but I'm not confrontational about everything. I've, I'm always trying to find like nuances. And I mean, like researching a thing as opposed to saying I need to fight against it because that takes too much energy sometimes. Right. So my I like pouring that energy into the work. So you know, a lot of people will ask my wife, like, "Man, is he is he this way when he's at home?" Because <laughs> because I'm not that type of person that the I'm genuinely the same. This person that you're seeing in front of you and hearing is is how I am like 99 percent of the time on the outside, but in my studio. I mean, it, I try to engage that stuff that I'm not getting out I mean, that might find its way. I don't want it to grow up in me, whatever that feeling is, grow up in me and to find its way in places that it doesn't need to be. Right. And I, I think it, for me, it needs to be in my work. And I'm not, and like I said, my work is not all, I don't know, and I, I don't speak for all Black people. I can't. So it's not always about the idea of speaking for anybody but me. So when anybody sees my work, please know that, yeah, if you see some anger in that, there's anger in me. I mean, it's a, there's, there's a lot of happiness and whimsy and bright colors and all these things. But, yeah, the under there's this little undercurrent that, that says, man, some, I got to fight for something. Yeah. So that, And that's usually it finds its way in my work. So, yeah, a lot of people will kind of see it and be like, man, that's like you. What's it? Are you all right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm right yeah, yeah. because I did this. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. Everyone think, you know, as we were saying, you think because someone's creative expression or their voice in a certain realm defines them as a person, it's like no, it's nuanced. You know, it's like yeah. it's it's, uh, it's different in different situations. We're complex beings. You know, yeah. Different people have different ways of like getting ideas out or frustrations or problems and 
you know, and uh, yeah, it's um, the show sounds really like it's going to be really great. I mean, it's the best way if people can't make it to the show, the best way for them to see the images like website or Instagram or like and, and in general, like what's the best way for people to like tap into what you're doing? Uh, best way right now is uh, through my Instagram, and it is uh, Dunson Art. That's uh, D-U-N-S-O-N Art. Uh, and I'm going to be hiring somebody to actually like, create a new website for me right. <laughs> because I just have not been able to sort of tie, tie in any, any time to actually like fix that. Uh, but uh, that's going to be happening at the beginning of the uh, upcoming year. So that's uh, samueldunson.com. Uh, uh, those are two of the best places to, to see the work. Nice. And uh, I mean, if, uh, if anything does happen between now and then, I don't, I don't really put anything on X or Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I don't really put anything yeah, on a, there. That's <laughs> not a Twitter guy. I've never. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say Instagram is probably the uh, first place. And uh, are, yeah, and, are all your oh, fun videos on TikTok? Are all your funk videos on TikTok? Like oh, that's uh, all the funk legends. That's, that's Sam the Funk God. Oh, we should do a. Uh, we should do in honor of the episode. A uh, do you do Spotify? I did, but I don't anymore. But I most definitely can tap back in. Well, I'll do a funk playlist, and you can add stuff to it if I you want. To. Most definitely, I'm on. Right. Yeah, most I got some deep funk that. cuts. I got some some. <laughs> There's some amazing ones in the seventies that were kind of like, you know, the secondary tertiary ones that people don't know about Yeah, where it, where it gets a little like off brand in a way, but it's really interesting. It's like kind of like that with art too. Like yeah. the second or third generation pop people where you're like, Whoa, what the hell is going on there? You know, it's, those are like the, the gems when you look back, I think. Yeah. The ones that, that weren't ready for, uh, for audience consumption. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They were the records that were like in the back. No one sold any of them. And, like 30 years later at a thrift store someone picks it up and is like oh wow what the hell is this you know most definitely man that's some good stuff no I'm, I'm sorry i did have a question for you because i mean it was so interesting I, I, I really liked the way that you're connecting to uh everything that you're saying honestly do you find yourself in your work or is that is, is your work itself a i guess you would say an outlet or is it because I, mean, I know my, I mean, like I was talking about mine, but I love when speaking to another artist. Do you find yourself in your work? Yeah, my it's funny because my, I mean, my work in the past what twenty some years, you know, has traversed a lot of different territories and has gone into different realms and stuff. But yeah, it's it's like I'm in a spot like the show that's coming up is a lot of work that's just images that really are very personal to me. Mm about my personal life or experiences and the viewer probably doesn't know what these places are why they're significant you know what i mean but they're really um personable but it, and so this work is it's kind of like a double show so there's that work that is kind of like these places and in in images of places that are, are very tied to personal experience and then the other body of work are portraits of musicians so it's oh, like wow. and people from you know like pretty well-known people, very diverse backgrounds, very diverse people, and the music is diverse. So it's, you know, and that's a totally different vibe than the other work. So, but it's all stuff that's, you know, it's things that I'm really compelled 
by either in my personal life or my environment or things that I'm into like music and stuff like that. So yeah. That's what I mean. It's uh not not strange, but to I mean kind of delve into knowing that there's so many avenues that artists take. You never know if the work is an outlet or an inlet. You know, yeah. I mean, anytime I speak to another artist, uh, I'm always wanting to know is how closely related their process is to mine or difference. Because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people I love learning from other from other artists probably more than anybody else because I don't have that opportunity to. I mean, since I'm seen as like this professor and all that, yeah, uh, which I, it's kind of still strange it feels like people are actually trying to come to me for answers mm-hmm. probably most of the time, but I still need answers from other oh, artists. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm that's always, part of, that's part of being a good teacher is you always want to learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, having an opportunity to speak to another artist is always wonderful. So I always want to know like, where, where do you find yourself when you're working on? Yeah. 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 And it's funny because sometimes like, like currently with that word, sometimes it's really personal and it doesn't show sometimes it's very personal it does show sometimes it's about i mean you know i've done work like a show about surveillance imagery just because it freaked me out all these surveillance cameras it's a really interesting concept visually you know to like a show about freedom fighters or people who are thought of good on one side and bad on the other side and very Mm -hmm. political you know imagery to you know just portraits of people that i've been interested in in general so you know it's it kind of I try to keep it open to just whatever yeah. I'm feeling or interested in and wherever I let it go where it wants to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling all too well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think when I was well, in school I made I made work that was so defensive. Like I there was so much work in it and I was using hmm. fractals and number systems to create abstractions and it, it was like blue collar work. It was like you may not like this, but you can't deny that I worked my butt off in each one, you know? Right. And they were so hermetic and and uh, defensive that when I got out and I went to Skowhegan right after grad school. Oh, wow. And I was in the middle of grass fields in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, I kind of want to paint like, you know, stuff around me, like the world, not like yeah. making worlds of defense, but just opening it up to the world. So That's that was amazing. a big, big turning point for me, you know, sitting there walking through cow pastures, <laughs> you know, going to a studio where there's just no one was, uh, <laughs> it was a good experience. I think. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that, Type of residency. Uh, I've known a couple people have gone to Skowhegan, and they've literally said the same thing. That I mean, there's no pretense. It's like, yeah, like you're there, and you're like, okay, you're dealing with what you have to deal with. So let's yeah. let's see what happens. So yeah, and even the teachers are quote unquote. I think participants. They're not like teachers. You know, like fellow people come in and talk to you about the work. But when I went, it was just so laid back and after grad school which was so stuffy and hardcore yeah and then i'm hanging out with like tom friedman and like john Waters oh, man. And, um and suzanne mcclellan and polly alphabon lorraine o'grady i mean just like <laughs> amazing people oh, and it wasn't like pedantic it was just like hey, they come to your studio and be like so what are you doing oh that's cool you know it was just like conversations and stuff so it was it was great that's i mean that part is the I mean, because I had some of that happen in grad school. Yeah. And to see these people that you're 
pretty much putting them on pedestals, reading about them in textbooks and all of that, and literally seeing them as regular people right. is one of the strangest Especially, yeah. you're saying to Tom Friedman, that was the first name. I was like, good Lord. Oh, yeah. Can't even was, imagine. It was great. We just talked about electronic music half the time, you know, <laughs> shared. We shared like bands and stuff. It was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> stuff like All that. Right. You know, those kind of experiences are, are pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, so it, it was great meeting you and great talking to you. I'm so glad we could do this. Same here. Same here. So, um, and everyone should go check out your work. Uh, follow you on Instagram, check out what you're working on there. You're revamped in January. We're up website. We'll have all the new stuff with the new show. Yes. That, right? Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Cause it's not showing any of the new stuff right now. So I got to get to work. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to do this and also thank you for, uh, you know, the next 48 hours of a funk like rabbit hole that I'm about to go down. <laughs> I might find you down there then, man. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Many thanks to Sam. That was a great talk. He's a great guy and a really interesting artist. So make sure you check out his work. Also, make sure you check out Golden Acrylic Paints, Golden Artist Colors. Williamsburg Oil Colors. Thank you for their sponsorship for the podcast. And Fulcrum Coffee Roasters, who do an amazing job of keeping me caffeinated, editing podcasts at 1 o'clock in the morning. Many thanks to you for listening. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, some really great people lined up. So make sure you stay tuned. If you can, leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell a friend, share it. And you could also pick up the Why I Make Art book, the official book of the podcast, available at Altelier Editions. Thanks for listening. Thank you.